day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So according to Psalm 84, verse 10, it's better to be a butler in God's house uh, than any, anywhere else. I, I cling to that verse. Uh, that's my life's verse, right? That it's better to be a butler than dwell in the tents of wickedness. We're going to take a moment now and dismiss our kids who are sixth grade and under to our, our kids' crew worship service. They're going to head upstairs with our leadership for a time of worship that is designed specifically for them. And so, parents, you can release them now if you want to do that. If you're wondering where you're going to find them when this is all said and done, if you're a guest today and you're thinking, where are they going to be when it's all over? Just beyond the balcony exit on this east end, there is a large room where they'll be gathered, and we'd be happy to help get you there if you can't find it on your own. But that's where they'll be in our kids' crew worship time and when the service is over today for you to claim them. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning, studying our way through the book of Galatians, a series that we've entitled The Heart of the Gospel, because throughout the book of Galatians we find that Paul is writing about fundamentally the gospel. The message of the book of Galatians is about the gospel itself, the very heart of the gospel, so that the Galatians would understand and know what the gospel is really about because the idea is that there are a lot of other messages that want to cloud out the truth of the gospel. There are a lot of other messengers who want to come along and preach or teach another message than the gospel message itself that Paul had delivered to the Galatians. And so he's writing this letter to them to remind them about the heart of the gospel so that they would be able to stand firm in it. So everything that we're looking at in each of these weeks comes back to an explanation of the gospel, that it's all about understanding and knowing the gospel, and not just for the sake of knowledge alone, not just knowing the gospel so that we can you know, pass a Sunday school test or so that we might be able to you know, uh, pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what I know, or uh, I'm, I'm proud of what I understand, but the purpose of understanding the gospel is always greater than just knowledge itself, because understanding the gospel always moves us to action. Because when we understand the gospel, we see that we have been saved by faith so that we might live by faith. And as we live by faith, as we fulfill the purpose that God has given us, it will always motivate us to act. And we're going to see that in this very passage that we're going to study this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the first section really of chapter 3 that I want to read for us and then we're going to jump into our study of it this morning. Paul writes, so foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this morning we're going to see in this passage three different things that relate to our understanding of the gospel. And as, we, as I give you these three 
things, then in the end we're going to put all of them together to see that really these three different elements that, that lead to a deeper understanding of the gospel end with our purpose, end with not just taking these things inwardly, but that we would live them outwardly in the way that we respond to this truth. So the first thing we see is the gospel pursuit. Gospel pursuit. And you see that in your notes it says that because of his love for us, God has been working a plan to redeem us from our sin since the foundation of time. Literally, since, since before Since before creation, from the very beginning, God has been working a plan to redeem us from our sin. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2 tell us about this. You can can read there, and I'm not going to preach that to you now because I want to stay in this text and really drill down the heart of what Paul is writing about here, but that's that's a great place to study that. From the foundation of time, God has been working a plan to redeem you from your sin. One of the things that I do as pastor, of course, one of my, my functions is in performing uh, funeral ser- uh, ceremonies or fu- funeral services, however you want to call that, for folks in our, in our body who pass away. And, you know, as a pastor, anyone who's ever conducted a funeral could tell you it's both a privilege and a burden to do that. It's a privilege because you are able to stand with a family in a moment when you know that their hearts are heavy, when they're broken, when they're grieving, and you get to help reflect on the truth of God's word and his love for them and, and his pursuit of us, it's also a tremendous burden because you, you feel the weight of wanting to honor someone's life. That's, that's not a small thing in any way as you can imagine. And over the years that I've served as your pastor here, I've been privileged to do several several services with Johnny Timms, my predecessor. In fact, uh, I tried to actually go backward this week because I was thinking about this and count up how many services Johnny and I have done together where we've, where we've participated together. And I, I've lost an, an accurate count along the way, but it's more than 20, somewhere upward of 20 services that we've done together the last few years. And one thing that I've heard Johnny say multiple times, it's actually left quite an imprint on me, is that Johnny will often stand when doing a funeral service, and he will say, uh, he will talk about how God was working a plan from the beginning of time to bring this saint home to him. He'll say that of these loved ones that we lose, that God has been working a plan to bring them home to him. And there's so much truth in that simple idea that from the foundation of time itself, God has been working a plan to redeem us from our sin. He has been pursuing us, as we might say. And so as we look at these first few verses in Galatians 3, look at the the picture of God's pursuit the way that Paul writes of it here. He says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Of course, the answer that is implied there is the latter, not the former, right? That they received the Spirit by hearing with faith. And then he goes on to say, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, it begs the question, right? The, the answer, of course, is no. Having begun by the Spirit, you're not dependent upon the flesh now to save you. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? No, you didn't suffer in vain, is implied there again, right? 
And does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? And in all of this, we see that God is pursuing us, right? That what was begun in us by faith, hearing the word of God, was done because the Spirit of God was working to draw us toward him, which is why our faith was begun by the Spirit, not by works of the law. In other words, we came to faith because God was pursuing us, because he was drawing us, because he went to great lengths to prove his love for us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 even tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, how do we receive the word of Christ? God gave it to us. He revealed it to us so that we might have that word, so that we might ultimately know him. So this hearing with faith that he speaks of in verse 2, again in verse 5, tells us that God has been pursuing. We have heard the word and received it by faith because God has been working all along so that we might hear the word, so that we might understand and know his love for us. In other words, a beautiful picture of God's loving pursuit of us. It's not a product of your works. It's not something that you work toward or something that you earn, but it's because God loves you and he's been pursuing you. He's been revealing these things to you. And so the point of what he's saying here is that the miracles that you've seen, the works that you've seen in your own lives, these are evidence to you of God's love for you and ultimately of his pursuit of you. This past week, we celebrated my 37th birthday. And for my birthday, Rayleigh had put together an evening with some old friends. And so on Friday night, we got together with uh, with friends, friends of mine who I've known my whole life. In fact, they were all, all of these guys, all of the men in, in the group were the groomsmen in our wedding. And so we went to dinner on Friday night and we, uh, we had uh, just time there with our wives. And, and as we were done and after we had wrapped up and had a great evening together, I said to Rayleigh, I said, you know, the last time this group of people were all together in the same room at the same table for dinner like this was the night of our wedding rehearsal, uh, and which was almost 15 years ago. This summer will be 15 years ago since we were married. And thinking about that and, and just thinking back on life and all the memories I have with these friends and, and people I've known literally my entire life, I was reminded of how much God loves me. But also, it was a pretty good picture of how much my wife loves me and, and just the way that she worked to put all this together and, and, uh, and sort of surprised me with it and, and just, uh, just as a way to, to make me feel special. And again, it just got me thinking kind of down memory lane and thinking about those, those days of dating and the friendship and, and these people that we've known for years. You know, probably the closest thing that we can, that we can imagine, at least when we think of this kind of loving pursuit that God has of us, probably the closest thing that we can identify it with is the idea of kind of our modern sense of dating and the way that a, a guy pursues a girl that he's interested in. Now, I don't mean to say that that captures it all. In fact, really that analogy breaks down pretty quickly and falls pretty woefully short of the love that God has for us. But I think it helps us to think about the, the pursuit of love when we think of young love or we think of being in a, a dating or a courting type relationship and the way that you know, we pursue those that we're interested in and, and we love. And on a, such a more uh, cosmically significant level, right, 
the scripture is teaching us that God loves us and he's been pursuing us, not for a few years, not even just for your lifetime, but literally from the foundation of the earth, God has been pursuing you. He's been working out events so that at just the right moment, you would hear this message of hope and you would respond. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? It was you. It was having a loving relationship with you that you would come to faith in, in Christ. And so for the joy of knowing you, he endured the cross. Or as a former pastor of mine used to say it, that God loves each of us as if we were the only one to love. That's how amazing he loves us. How amazing his love for us is. That he can love each one of us as if we were the only one to love. And I don't mean to put you or I at the center of the gospel. It's not about us. It's not a story of us. It's a story of God and his power and his love. But the beauty is that God's love always is in pursuit of those who have yet to respond, who have yet to come to him by faith. And so we see in this passage this understanding of the gospel. We see gospel pursuit. But not only do we see God's pursuit of us, secondly, we see his perfection of us. Gospel perfection in verse seven, it says to us, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, when I, when I talk about perfection here, I don't mean your perfection. I don't mean that God saves you and that he makes you perfect. Rather, at the moment of your salvation, just as we studied last week, Chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 15 taught us that, that at the moment of your salvation that you were justified in Christ, that he saved you, that he redeemed you from sin. The, the perfection that you have, the righteousness that you obtain is not your own, it's the righteousness of Christ that is given to you. The word that the scripture will use often is, the, is imputed, that it's imputed to you meaning that it is, it is made yours, not because you've earned it, but because God has granted it to you, because he's given it to you. And so it says here that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The picture is taking us all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, as God establishes his covenant with Abraham, he tells Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you, through your offspring, I will bless the whole world, literally it's through this relationship that God formed, this covenant that he formed with Abraham, that he brought blessing to the sons of the earth. How was it? It was through the, the lineage of Abraham, through the sons of Abraham, literally through Jesus Christ, who was a seed of Abraham. And so we are perfected by the work of Christ because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, we can receive a righteousness that is not our own. It, it, it wouldn't be right in any way for us to think that he makes us perfect. But rather we understand that Jesus was perfect and we receive his righteousness, that it's given to us when we are justified by faith in Christ. That's what Paul writes to the Galatians here in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It's what he writes to the Romans about in Romans chapter 3, verses 23, 24, 25, that we also saw last week. That those who are justified by faith are sons of Abraham. They are heirs of Abraham. They obtain a righteousness that's not their own, just 
as Abraham did in Genesis 15, 6. It tells us that Abraham believed God's word and that it was counted to him as righteousness. And so he goes on to say in verse 8 that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So what, what does it mean here that to Abraham that the gospel was preached? Well, in other words, God said to Abraham that I'm going to send one through you, through your lineage, who's going to redeem everyone, that through you all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's a foretelling of, of the coming of Jesus. So even to Abraham, the promise was made that there would be one who would come through you who would save and redeem this curse of sin that has you trapped and through him all of the earth will be blessed it's the gospel message that was given even to abraham and it says in abraham in genesis rather chapter 15 that abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness so we saw that salvation always comes as a work of faith and not by works even in the old testament it was through faith that they were counted righteous trusting in this promise of one who would come. So salvation has always come through faith in Jesus. You know, one of the ways that the gospel is distorted in this, in this setting, in this context where Paul is writing to the Galatians, one of the ways that the gospel is being twisted, if you will, is that there are the Judaizers who are coming in and they're saying to the Galatians that it's not just faith in Christ alone that will save you, but faith in Christ plus following the works of the law, that now you've got to adopt the, the system of the law and you've got to be faithful to the law. Of course, Paul's purpose in writing is to remind them that is not the heart of the gospel message. That is not the gospel that we preach to you, that it's faith in Christ alone that saves, not in any other thing that we would add to him. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You know, one of the ways that the gospel continues to be distorted today is that we would twist it and that we would add to it, that we would make it faith in Christ plus something else. And so there are many today that preach the gospel as a means of wealth, as a means of happiness, as a means of success, a means of power. But hear me when I say this. That if we would distort the gospel by adding anything to it other than faith in Christ alone, if we pursue Jesus for anything other than just the joy of knowing him and being saved and redeemed, if the gospel for us is a means to anything else, then we're not really trusting in him and our faith is, is empty and worthless, just as Paul is writing to the Galatians here. So if for you, if the gospel is a means toward self-empowerment somehow, as some would twist it and make it today. If the gospel for you is a means of getting what you want, if a gospel is even just a means of saving you from the reality of hell, which scares you, then, then you don't really understand because the purpose of the gospel is not to give us other things. The purpose of the gospel is to give us Jesus. The goal of our faith is not Jesus plus success, plus wealth, plus fame, plus power, plus moral goodness. The, the, the goal of the gospel is always to save and redeem us from our sin. And so there's no greater purpose than knowing Jesus and, and his salvation. That's the, that's the heart of the gospel message and gospel perfection comes about when we receive the righteousness of Christ, when we are 
perfected in the sense that we are justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not our perfection. He doesn't make you perfect so that you'll go on from that point living without sin, but rather we receive the righteousness, the perfection of Christ, which we do not deserve. So we see gospel pursuit, gospel purpose, and then finally we, uh, rather gospel pursuit, I just gave you the third one, gospel perfection, and then finally gospel purpose. Gospel purpose, because the work of the kingdom is not finished, God wants to use us to reach others with the gospel message. The reality is that once we've been justified by grace through faith, this righteousness that is imputed to us, this righteousness that is given to us then joins us in God's purpose to spread the gospel, to spread this covenant pursuit to the, to the ends of the earth. Just as Paul writes here, he says, so that in you all the nations shall be blessed. That's the promise that was made to Abraham, but it's the promise that is extended through us. We are both living in the fulfillment of that promise in our lives, literally the reason that we believe, the reason that we have heard the word and believe the word is because others have been faithful to this purpose, that they would share the gospel, that they would preach the gospel, so that through them, others might hear and believe. And then we, once we come to faith in Christ, are given that same purpose, that we would share that message so that others might hear and believe in Jesus. And so I, I shared with you Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul also writes that how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God's pursuit of you leads to his perfecting you through the work of Christ, not on your own, so that you might engage with his purpose for you. I'll say that again. God's pursuit of you leads to his perfecting you so that you might engage with his purpose for you. So God has saved you, not so that you would receive your salvation as as the end unto itself, but so that you might join him in this purpose of sharing Christ with others. It's the purpose of the gospel. God's purpose is in saving us and then giving our lives this mission. I, I really believe with all my heart that if the goal of receiving the gospel was just that we would come to faith in Christ, then what else is there for us? He would just take us home in that moment. I mean, you would, you would pray, you would receive Christ, and then he would just call you to be with him. But he doesn't do that, does he? Why? Because he's not finished with us. There is a purpose now that our lives are engaged with this gospel purpose so that we would share the gospel with others, that we would, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, that we would preach the gospel, both with our words and with our lives. One of the things that happens sometimes as a parent is that I will particularly a parent with you know, several children, sometimes I'll say something to one of my kids and then one of the other kids will jump in, right? Like they need to, like they need to, like I need their help, right? Like they gotta drive it home what dad says. And so I'll be, tell, I'll be giving someone instructions. I'll just pick an example from yesterday, right? I mean, this was yesterday. I spent a little bit of time just kind of trying to uh, enjoy the beautiful weather and, and do something nice for my wife. So I was washing her car. And I had a few other little minions, you know, helping me and uh, 
probably making more of a mess than, than a help, really. But uh, here we were out on the driveway washing the car, and, uh, and there was this pool of muddy water that, you know, was uh, inviting our youngest to just go run through it. And he would get on his bike and ride through it. And the whole way he would sing a song that he had made up about this was the car wash. And he was going through the car wash and he would get off and stomp around. And he was just like soaked from like the chest down, you know, just drenched in water. And at one point I said, I said to him, I said, Nixon, get out of the water. I don't want to have to tell you again. And so Lindy Kate, who is also helping me, says, yeah, stay out of the water, you know, and I'd say, I don't need your help, right? I got it. I'll be dad. You play. You help me with the car. You know, I got it. Parents understand this, right? We, we, we don't need the extra help, the unsolicited help sometimes that we get, right? And sometimes we think that this is the way that it works, right? That we think that uh, that our job is to bring conviction in the life of others. And so, you know, we, we try to really point out the sin and the unrighteousness. Understand that when I say that God's purpose is to use you to preach the gospel, I don't mean that God is wanting to use you as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do its job well enough, thank you, without your help, without my help. But rather, we are to proclaim the goodness of Christ, that we're to proclaim the the love of Christ, God's loving pursuit of us that has perfected us by giving us a righteousness that is not our own, that we proclaim, that we preach the gospel, not by pointing to the sin in someone else's life and saying, this is wrong and you've got to change that, but rather by lifting up the goodness of Christ. Jesus himself even said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We don't have to do God's work for him as though somehow it were lacking. Rather, we engage in that purpose so that we might display the goodness of Christ to the world around us. And so his pursuit of you leads to his perfecting you so that you might engage with his purpose for you. The story doesn't just end with you. You've been saved by faith so that you might continue to live by faith for the one who has redeemed you. So this morning I wonder, could you say that I am engaged in God's purpose for my life? That I, that I have understood his gospel pursuit of me, that I have received his gospel perfection by the saving work of Christ in my life, and that now I'm engaged with his gospel purpose because I'm using my life. I'm using what I have been given to lift up the name of Jesus so that others would see and believe. God's pursuit of you leads to his perfecting you so that you might engage with his purpose for you. In just a moment, we're gonna have a time of response, time of invitation. And in our time of invitation this morning, we're gonna invite you to engage with this gospel message, with this good news, this hope that Jesus saves. And so for some who are here this morning, maybe for the first time you've understood how much God loves you and that God has been pursuing you since the beginning of time. He's been working a plan to redeem you from your sin. And today, you need to reach that moment where you would surrender to him, that you would receive a righteousness, a perfection that is not your own through faith in Jesus Christ. In the moment when we stand and we sing this song of invitation, I'll be here at the front, and I would love to
to share with you how it is that you can place your faith in Christ so that you might receive this righteousness that is not your own. Many of us in the room have taken that step, though. And for us, the disconnect, if there is one, the the breakdown, if you will, is whether or not, or, or even we might say to what extent, we are engaged with God's purpose for our lives. Do you see everything that you do as a means to this end, that you would that you would proclaim the glory of Christ to a lost and dying world, that you, would, that you would display his worth in the way that you live your life so that others might see and believe in the one who saves. And so during this time today, maybe if, if God is leading you to engage with his purpose for your life, I want you to know that the steps of our stage here will, will be open for you to come and pray. You can make this an altar this morning, a place where you meet with God, a place where you, where, where you meet with him and where you surrender your life to his purpose and his will. And again, I'll be here at the front ready to pray with you, to encourage you, if I can do that in any way, so that you might engage with God's purpose for your life. Because his pursuit of you leads to perfecting you so that you can engage with his purpose for your life. Would you pray with me? God, today, I pray that this this truth would grab hold of our hearts, that we would know you, that we would place our faith in you so that we might join you in this purpose for our lives, that we would proclaim Christ for the world around us, both in our actions, in our words, God, in everything that we do, that our lives would be spent for the purpose of your kingdom as we display the glory of Jesus and his saving power to the world around us. Lord, we claim that promise that you spoke, that if you be lifted up, that you would draw all men to you. And so today our desire is to lift you up with our lives that you might lead all to faith in Christ. May you do your work in our hearts now as we respond to your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we stand together and as we sing this song about the ceaseless flowing fountain of Christ's love for us, I would invite you to respond now by faith. If you want to come and pray at our altar this morning, you can do that. If you want to come, if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ today, I'll be ready to receive you here at the front. You respond now by faith. God lead you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, whose
central idea that is woven throughout a story is its theme. And so what we're seeing is that redeeming love would be the, the theme of my life, that it would be the central idea, the defining truth of who I am would be the redeeming love of Christ. In other words, that our lives would proclaim his glory, that we would lift him up so that others would see and believe. And I pray that that truth could be said of us, that we have trusted in him, that we have believed in him, and that the theme of our lives is in sharing that hope, that message with others. We're going to prepare for our offering now and invite you to have a seat. And as we do this, I want to invite our our men as well to take their place to receive our morning offering. As they're doing that, 